mystery for us. Pastor Kevin, we welcome you. I wasn't going to talk about that at all today, so there we go. So maybe I'll change my message on the fly. (laughs) No pressure. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be here with each and every one of you this morning. Uh, Show of hands, how many of you, the traffic this morning and the, the detours of the highway? And not just me, okay, it was like, oh my goodness gracious me. Um, if you thought this morning it was hard to get here on time, uh, just a friendly reminder, in two weeks, we go back to two services. So 9, 15, and 11 is when our worship services are going to be starting again in two weeks, September 11th. So um, my family, we're going to plan accordingly. Your family, you should plan accordingly. It's going to be a little bit chaotic on that first Sunday back because so many different ministries are going to be starting up again. Kid Zone starts up again, and we are going to be celebrating together 50 years of ministry here at Greenbelt Church, and we're also going to be celebrating. 10 years of ministry of our Arabic uh, ministry as well that we have partnered with. This is a great time to just celebrate and and rejoice all that God is doing. Um, Paul made reference to our mission of being committed to leading people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. But we have another big thing out in the foyer where it talks about our vision as a church, right? And we feel the call of God to be a vibrant, growing Christian community. Now, those words are very specific. They're very specific and very intentionally of who we feel God is calling us to be. Not just simply as we look back over the last 50 years and everything that God has done over the past 50 years, but what God wants to do in us and through us. We live in a world that desperately needs to know the love of God. We need a, we need more and more vibrant, growing Christians who are demonstrating and showing the love of Jesus in their schools, in their workplaces, in their communities, everywhere that we go. The world doesn't need lukewarm, crabby Christians. The world doesn't need that. Okay, And so this is why when you look at our vision where it says that we want to be a church that's engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel. What does that mean? That means as our church, as you are vibrantly growing in your faith, you are blessing other people. Just this past week, our, we track everyone who we bless. I, I'm, a, I'm a data guy. I'm a math guy. I'm a science guy. That was my background. Data tells a story. This week, we crossed over 900 people are being blessed by your ministry here. 900 people. Whether those are families that we're connecting with through our youth ministry, whether those are children coming to our kids' own ministry, whether those are people that we're connecting with through our English second language ministry or our Arabic ministry. And that's not even including our online ministry right now. Right? 900 people. Could you imagine if there were a hundred vibrant, growing churches reaching 10,000 people, blessing 10,000 people with the good news of Jesus, that would be 100% of the million people in our city. 
And I don't think that's unreasonable. Because this is what we see the heart of God is. God called the church not to huddle up and just have buffets, even though I love a good Baptist buffet. I'm first in line, bring chocolate, bring coffee, I'm there. Okay, we had some of that a little bit yesterday as a number of leaders here in the church got together. And we ate. It was good. (laughs) But we're not called to just huddle and eat. Like Paul said, we're called to go and be a blessing. The church is a gift to the world, not a burden to the world. We're a gift to the world. And they need to see that. So that's, you know, I I just hope as we get ready to celebrate 50 years that you'll be encouraged in what God wants you to do. I hope that you will see your place in this mission and this vision because to be a church that is blessing people, it's all hands on deck. It's not the work of two or three or five or ten. It's not 20% of the church serve so that 80% can consume. It's all hands on deck. So we'll have a number of announcements coming up over the next couple of weeks about ways that you can serve, learn what your spiritual gifts are, and be engaged in the process of blessing our city, no matter what that looks like for you. And just in in way of that, I want to thank, just I want to take a moment just to say a quick thank you to our worship ministry. They have been doing an amazing, amazing job week after week after week of leading us into the presence of God through song, especially over the last couple of months with Paul serving in Uganda and kind of working remotely from Uganda. You got to love technology that you can literally be in Uganda and still actually sign into the computers here in Ottawa and still get your job done. It's absolutely amazing what you've done. And I really appreciate you, Paul, for doing that. But yes, no, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Uh, but then, then a huge thank you to Kendra and Alvani and Prinia and Caden and Helena and Megan and Sam and Kim, who stepped up trying to figure out all of this technology when Paul was in Uganda. Like, I'm sure it wasn't always easy for them, and they did an amazing job uh, of doing that. And so I just thank them for their part that they've played in this mission, in this vision of blessing 10,000 people with the good news of Jesus. So as Paul said, we're in a sermon series uh, in the book of Isaiah. We We've not been going through this book verse by verse, line by line, because that probably probably would have taken us about three and a half years to do so. And if you know me, I get bored really, really fast. And so three and a half years in the same book of the Bible, I don't know if I could handle that. Um, something would stir up in me and I'd probably snap. But we've been going through the big themes of this book because Isaiah is a fascinating, amazing book of the Old Testament to study. One, to learn the character and nature of who God is. There's so much writing in here about who God is and his character and his nature. So if you struggle with, you know, who is God and what, what's God like, Isaiah is a great book for that. It's also a great book that talks about the salvation that God offers to the entire people of the world. Not just his people, the people of Israel back in those days, but God called the people of Israel to be a blessing to all the nations. That was the original covenant that God made with his people. I'm going to come into your life. I'm going to bless you immensely. And the reason I'm going to bless you is so that you could just party and eat and huddle and just do your own thing. No, that's not what God said. God said, I am going to bless you so that through you, 
every nation in the world would be blessed. And what happens is, in our human nature, what the people of Israel did, is they turned around and said, yeah, we don't want to be a blessing to all people. Not interested. Because people that are different from us, yeah, we don't like them all that much. They look different. They eat different food. They dress different. I'm just not interested. They don't obey our commandments. They don't follow our traditions. It's, they're just making my life complicated, and I'll pass. <laughs> and what we see several times in the book of Isaiah, you see God warning his people because of their hard hearts of choosing to worship other gods, of choosing of not being a blessing to all the nations, of choosing to not live God's way, there are consequences for that. Now, the consequences back in those days for the people of Israel was an army of Assyrians showed up and destroyed them. (laughs) Some pretty bad consequences. And then in the second half of Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, we start reading about that there's another group of enemies that show up, the Babylonians, who were even worse. They were even more evil than the Assyrians, and they did such a destruction on the people of Israel that they were exiled from their land for 70 years. Consequences for their choices, consequences for the way that they choose to live out their faith. Now, we as modern-day Christians, kind of on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection here in 2022, I don't believe that our God is still in the business of sending out wrath and judgment and punishment. When people come up to me and they say, well, God is punishing me, I point them to the scripture that says, you know what, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if you have put your faith in Jesus, the full wrath of God, and we don't like talking about wrath of God, it's uncomfortable, but God has to deal with sin. And all of that, he doesn't raise up Babylon to destroy us and kick us out of our homes. Instead, all of that went on Jesus as he died on the cross for you and for me. But there are still consequences that you and I have based off of our choices. There are consequences for the choices I make, for the attitudes that I let get into my head, that I let get into my heart. There are consequences. And so I think I've asked this question before. Again, if you're new with us here, I I like to ask questions, you know, and show of hands. You don't have to get up and confess, confess all your sins to everybody. You get to know me a little bit as I preach, but I like to get to know you a little bit as I preach. So like I said, I think I've asked this question before. I just show of hands. How many of you at some point in your life, you received really, really great advice that you didn't take? Any of you? Number of hands. You received really, really great advice. Like hindsight 2020, it's like, oh my goodness, why didn't I listen to that person? That was amazing advice. See, I can actually confess this right now because my parents aren't in the room. They might be watching online. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Um, my parents have, over the years, have given me amazing advice. Amazing advice. And there is no way ever... Would I listen to it? 
And now I'm not a rebellious kid. I was not a rebellious teenager. I was like the picture perfect dream teenager for my family. I really was. I was a nerd. I was afraid of girls. And I just stayed in my room and read comic books. Parenting doesn't get any easier than that. Okay? Really doesn't. I was not a rebellious kid. But there is no way I would ever listen to them on their great advice. Now, we had an amazing relationship. I trust my parents deeply, but I could not surrender to them. And that's what I want us to talk about today. So often, as followers of Jesus, we talk about trusting God. And trusting God is a good thing. It's a great thing. But you and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to so much more than just trusting God. You are called, I am called, to surrender to God. How many of you like that idea? Okay, Uh, you're lying. And I know you're lying because I lie about this all the time too. If I'm honest about my life, there are parts of my life I don't want to surrender. I like it. I like being the leader in charge. I like my decisions. I like everyone having to just do what I say. It feels great. Okay, I'm kidding a little bit, a little bit. Okay, surrender is hard. Trust, I trust the Lord. But you actually show me that you trust the Lord when you surrender to him. I demonstrate a faith to you that shows that my trust is not just simply words, that you can actually see my surrender. Where I wave a white flag and say, not my will, but your will be done, God. Whatever you want to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I will say it. I surrender. So because of the big idea that I want us to talk about as we look at Isaiah chapter 55 today is this, is that trust is good, but surrendering to God is the true path to joy. Surrendering to God is the true path to joy. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit going through Isaiah chapter 55. Now, as I said, we've been kind of looking at the big themes of this book, not going through it verse by verse. And we've been seeing how Isaiah is addressing the problem of sin and he's showing people's needs for salvation. He, he deals with a number of different kings in, the, in that season. Israel had split into two nations, into Israel and Judah. And um, chapter 40, like what we talked about last week, there's a shift in the writing where Isaiah, it's again, and scholars aren't too sure, is it still Isaiah looking into the future, or did a disciple of Isaiah continue his prophetic ministry, and he was there in Babylon writing? We're not too sure which one it is, but, but, the, but the truth of this text is just incredibly powerful, brings incredible comfort to people in distress, Like here in chapter 55, we're approaching the end of the exile. And we talked about this last week. You can go on our YouTube channel and watch that message if you missed it. But the exile was, again, the people of Israel removed from their entire culture. 
removed from their way of worship, removed from their way of living, having to live as slaves under Babylon. Consequences for their sin, consequences for turning away from God. And this exile is about to end, and then God is bringing comfort to his people that their suffering is about to come to an end. And so this is this theme that's continuing here in chapter 55. So I'm going to read here uh, the, these 13 verses from Isaiah 55. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along with it. So it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Remember, he's talking to people in slavery. People in exile here. Why spend money on what not is bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. This reference to King David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. There's that call of blessing again to all the nations. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Splendor! In slavery! Okay? This is what God's promise is for them. Seek the Lord while he, while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God he will freely pardon. For your thoughts are not, sorry, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood and, uh, bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy. <laughs> Again, people in exile. You will go out in joy and you'll be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. I'd love to see that. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briar, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Man, this is God's word to people who are dealing with the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. That their, that their consequences, their decisions, sorry, caused those consequences. Think about that. They chose to worship other gods. They chose to be disobedient to God's teaching and God's commands. And yet God in his love and his mercy 
there's consequences, there's punishment, there's correction, but there's great comfort and hope here. That true joy. And who doesn't want more joy? (laughs) Who doesn't want more joy in their life? True joy doesn't simply come from trusting God. It comes from surrendering to God. And not out of guilt and shame and obligation, but out of his nature and out of his mercy and out of his love. Because he is a God who promises great joy in our surrender. Right. This is so this is like in chapter 54 leading up to what we just read. God is is prepping them up that this great forgiveness is coming. This great forgiveness for all of humanity, for all of the nations is about to come. And then verse uh, chapter 55, we see the experience of that forgiveness. And it comes again from surrender. Now, just in way of definition, when I say trust, and Mike did a great sermon a few weeks ago while I was on vacation about trust, what is the difference between trust and surrender? Right? Trust is reliance on the integrity, strength, ability of a person or a thing. It's confidence, right? Confident expectation of something. So we know we can trust God because of who he is. We trust his integrity, his strength, his ability. We can have confidence in him. Surrender, by definition, is to yield, right? It's to yield to the possession or power of another. (laughs) See, we, we say things all the times as Christians, not my will, but your will be done. And if I were to be really honest, is that always true in my life? Not my will. Because <laughs> I have a lot of will. There's a lot of things I like, and they're good things. There's a lot of things I desire, and they're good things. But what if God says no? What if he says no? No. To what I will. And God, what I will is a good thing. What I will is a godly thing. What I will is going to like point people to Jesus, God. And he says, no. That's surrender. When I, when you have to be okay when God says no. We all love when God says yes to our will. But what happens when God says, no, that is the difference between trust and surrender, right? Surrender is we're surrendering, (laughs) again, like I said, our will, our desires, our dreams, our plans. And we're putting God's desires, God's dreams, God's plans in motion. This is this is how this works. I'm going to unpack this in a moment of how we can grow in this cuz this is a spiritual discipline that all of us need to grow in, the spiritual discipline of surrender. Right? This is how this works. Um I don't need to pray and ask God, should I be a good neighbor? I don't 
need to pray and ask God if I should be a good neighbor. Why? Or he says it. It's in your Bible. Be a good neighbor. Right? I don't need to pray and ask God, should I be generous with my money and my resources? I don't need to ask. Why? It's already in your Bible. You already know it. I don't need to ask, do I need to uh, bless the nations? I don't need to ask. It's already in my Bible. I don't need to ask, God, should I serve and use my gifts and my talents to build up the body of Christ? When Christians come up to me and say, oh, pastor, I'll pray about that, whether I should serve. Here's the French-Canadian guilt trip, just for a moment. When people respond, I'll pray about it. My response is, why? The prayer shouldn't be, should I? The prayer should be, how should I? Because God already said it. That's surrender. I was talking at a Christian camp this summer. And you you know me. I I don't like traveling. I I don't. I like being home. I like being comfortable. I don't like airplanes. I I, I just like being home. Right? But if someone calls me and says, we want you to come and preach the gospel, my answer is yes. Because the Bible tells me to always be prepared to Share the hope that I have in Christ. So the answer is always yes, until God shows me otherwise. I don't need to ask. That's surrender. There's so many things as followers of Jesus. We have to be really, really, really honest that we've over-spiritualized it, and we've put Christian language around our desire to not surrender. That's what we've done. And then we're surprised when our churches are not vibrant, they're not full of love, they're not growing, they become crusty, we become complainy, we just think about my wants, my desires, what I get from it, instead of truly being men, women, boys and girls who are the hands and feet of Jesus in this city and in this world, blessing the world, blessing the nations, surrender surrendering to God is the true path to joy. It's what God shows his people. Even in suffering, submit, surrender to my desires for you, and you will experience great, great joy. So how do we do this? How do we grow in this? I think Isaiah's prophecy here gives us a couple of things that we can look to. And so the first is this. And I encourage you, write these things down, talk about them with your family. Um, The first thing that you and I need to do is to accept the invitation. We need to accept the invitation. Like, look how chapter 55 starts. It starts with one word. Come. Come. Where else have you heard that word? Jesus says these words as well, too. Come. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. This is like God's love, God's blessing here is linked to the idea of being thirsty. How many of you have ever been thirsty? And I'm not talking spiritually thirsty. I'm talking you've been working in your yard and it's 37 degrees and the humidity factor is kicked in. feels like a thousand and four. 
okay, and you're mowing your lawn because the neighbors are giving you dirty looks because your yard is an embarrassment to the rest of the street, so you're out there working. Maybe that's just my neighborhood, okay? And you're thirsty. When I was a teenager, I used to do landscaping, okay? And you can tell by my frame, I was not put on this planet to do landscaping, I was not put on this planet to carry thousand pound rocks and build rock gardens. I didn't have the frame for it, the strength for it. And I would be so thirsty. And, the, and, the, and we were working in these homes, like in Montreal, the kind of the rich parts of Montreal. And people say, oh, you know, young man, are you thirsty? Yes, I'm dying. Well, there's a hose in the back. I love rich people from Montreal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and if you're a rich person from Montreal here, I love you. Welcome to Greenbelt. Suck out of the dirty hose, boy. That was the answer. This is the best water I ever drank. I didn't care how dirty that hose was. Just drink. That's the same thing with our spiritual walk. God says, you're thirsty. Because you know who I am. You know my decrees. You know how I want you to live, but you're not doing it. And there are consequences and there are things going on because you're choosing to not do it. And you're thirsty. So come. <laughs> I've got the hose. <laughs> right? And this is, we see this again and again in the teachings of Jesus. He said words very similar to what Isaiah says here. He says, come if you're thirsty, come to the water. If you don't have any money, that's okay because you don't need anything. To receive this water. Come. Jesus says in John chapter 7 verses 37 and 38. He says if anyone thirst. Let him come to me. And drink. Whoever believes in me as the scriptures has said. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See the life of surrender. Isn't just about us consuming the water. Suddenly you experience the blessings and the great joy of God, and then you become a hose. It's not exactly how the Bible puts it. Okay, it's a little bit of a Kevin metaphor stretch here, okay? But you're the dirty hose. I'm the dirty hose. We can then say to other people, come. My wife is like, what are you talking about? Where did this come from? This came from lack of sleep. Okay, this is where this comes from. Okay, but this is how God works. There's an invitation to come drink. Then you and I experience joy by accepting that invitation to come. And then we can now invite other people to come. Who would ever set foot into a church that's just fighting and arguing and crusty and angry and complaining? Anyone? Your non-Christian family members, when you think of them and what they need from the message of Jesus, what do they need? Do they need guilt and shame and condemnation from us? Or do they need an invitation to come? We know you're thirsty. Because we're thirsty. And we've got the hose. We have to develop this acceptance. If you want to grow in surrender, when God tells you to come, the answer is not, well, I'll pray about it. The answer is, okay. Okay. I'll come. Because I know you have living water. 
I'm desperately thirsty for that living water. So we practice that. We develop that skill. It doesn't happen overnight. Like when I shared that example, if someone says, Kevin, we want you to come and speak at our event, and my answer, my default answer now is yes. Eight years ago, my default answer was no. No. Kevin, we want you to come to Lebanon. No. Kevin, we want you to come to Columbia. No. Like, no, I've got like a sense of, I have a sense of, a very sensitive belly and like weird food in other countries. No, I had every excuse in the world never to set foot on that airplane, but it takes discipline, practice, practice to accept invitations. We grow in that. Come, all of you who are thirsty, and then out of your heart will flow living water. Number two, how do we grow in surrender? If surrendering to God is the true path to joy, then we need to give up our ways. And this is hard. I'll admit, I'm the first to admit this is hard because we like our ways. You know, and I don't just mean our ways in our personal life. What about our ways in church life? I like how I do church. I do. I like three songs, an announcement, and a 75-minute sermon. (laughs) But because you don't like that, I do 40 minutes. (laughs) Okay? But um, I like my ways. And then every once in a while, God will say something to us as we practice surrender. And he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. But, but I like my ways. <laughs> and my ways are good and godly, aren't they? Just because they're good and godly doesn't mean it's necessarily what God wants us to do. Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. Right? See, God is talking to people who are in exile, who chose not to surrender to God's ways. They're dealing with the consequences of this. And then suddenly... Um, God is showing them, if only you would realize that the way, because I am so different than you, because I am so holy, because I'm so righteous, because I'm so loving, because I'm so merciful, your, your ways that built a system that told people they're not welcome is not my way. So stop it. And we have to ask, as kind of the modern day church, are our, our ways actually keeping people away from Christ. That question keeps me up at night. Do my ways, the way I'm living my life, am I growing in surrender in such a way that I'm a blessing to all the nations or am I actually driving people away from Jesus? But at least I'm right. Well, according to Jesus, I'm wrong. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world because the world in its sin is already condemned. Instead, he came to give life and life everlasting to those who are perishing, to those who are lonely and hurting and suffering and thirsty. So sometimes we have to realize that my ways are not my ways. Like one of the things that I've loved as we're getting ready to celebrate our 50th anniversary is our church was founded on not doing church the same way as every other church in our city. 
It was very intentional when these six original founding families got together. They were very intentional to do things in a way was not their way, just simply what they wanted, but to do ministry, to launch ministry in a way that will reach people that the other churches aren't reaching. And in order to reach people that other people aren't reaching, you have to do what other churches are not doing. But in order to do what other churches, to stop doing what other churches are doing, you've just got to stop doing what they're doing and you need to do something completely different. I stole that from a different pastor. Okay? But that's how it works. Our ways are not our ways. And then the blessing that comes from that are just huge, right? Because when we actually surrender to God's ways, as long as we're true to God's word, I'm not saying we water down the word of God or not proclaim the word of God, but we look at that God is doing a new thing, that God has got new ways to bring about his salvation to the world through Christ. Verse 11 becomes more and more true. My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. My way that I love. When God calls me to go, yeah, we're not going to do it that way anymore. Do I surrender? Or do I go, nope. I like my way. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I got a different plan right now. Just submit to it. If you submit to it, you're going to see great joy. That takes practice. That takes discipline to grow in that. Every day, a little bit more surrender of giving up our ways. So we accept the invitation. We give up our ways. And then finally, to conclude with this, when we see God moving in this, we praise God with great joy. We praise God with great joy. Look at verse 12. I kind of made a little joke about it earlier. Right? You will go out in joy. You'll be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Like there's this joy here that the will of God is being fulfilled by the people of God. That the people of God are willing to surrender to the God they trust. They're willing to surrender to the God they trust because they know that that's the path to joy. And suddenly when you've experienced that, you know, by accepting his invitation to do things that you've never done before, to go places you've never gone before, to serve in ways you've never gone before, right? To give up your plans and seek God's plans, to give up your ways, your traditions, because God might be wanting to do a new thing to reach a culture that desperately needs Jesus, desperately needs Jesus, Our world is a mess, and it's thirsty, and it needs what you have to offer. Then suddenly, when you start living out of that surrender, then suddenly church is not something I have to go to. Suddenly, the gathering of the people of God in worship is something I cannot wait to go to. I can't wait to hear the clapping to hear the music, to hear the praise, to hear the word of God going out. I can't wait because it brings great joy. (laughs) If church for you is just something, I got to go to it to make my parents happy and I can't stand it. And you're looking at your watch going, how much longer is Kevin talking? 30 more minutes. Almost done. I'm just kidding. I'm watching my clock. It didn't turn red on me yet. It's going to (laughs) soon. See, That's the difference between surrender (laughs) And trust that it's not just simply about what our parents want, but it suddenly is when we make it our own. 
See, I grew up in a very, very religious French-Canadian environment where I basically, my conclusion about God in church was I hate it and I want nothing to do with it. That was my conclusion by what I, how I saw the Christians around me living. I was like, I want no part of this. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> and then instead, years later in my 20s, I get a Bible. I'm reading the Bible. I'm learning the truth about who God is and not just what I saw in religious tradition. And suddenly I saw that there's this great invitation of a God who loves me. He goes, Kevin, I know you're a mess. I know everyone thinks you're amazing, but I know what you're struggling with. I know what you're addicted to. I know where your path is leading you. My path that I was on was a divorced alcoholic. That was the trajectory I was on. And God says, come. Come. I know you're thirsty. I'll give you life. And then I'm going to then turn you into a dirty hose. That other people can come to. Okay? Because you're going to proclaim this. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to quit your job, become a pastor. It doesn't mean that. But when you accept that invitation that you need Jesus to deal with your sin, it changes everything. And so maybe you're joining us online or maybe you're here in person and if you've never done that, I want to extend that invitation to you today. Come. I know you're thirsty. Because I've been thirsty. I know you're hurting because I have been hurting. I know you're confused because I've been confused. (laughs) But I know that there is a God who loves you. (laughs) And I know that there is a church that loves you. We love you. (laughs) And we want the absolute best for you in knowing how God wants to fill you and bring you great joy. So Jesus just says, come to me. And so you can come to him today real simply, right where you're sitting, right where you are at home or in this room, but just say, Father, forgive me. Forgive my sin. Come into my life and make me new. And if you pray that way today, come and tell me at church online. Click the little pop-up. Come and tell me after the service in the cafe over a coffee. I'd love to rejoice with you as you accept that invitation. And then for the rest of us who we've done that years ago, decades ago, I firmly believe as we are stepping into a new season of ministry, 50 years of ministry, 10 years of Arabic ministry in a city that is desperately in need for vibrant, growing, loving, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians, that there's an invitation for you. There's a great invitation for you to not just, as Paul said, consume the buffet, but to be part of the work that God wants to do. To see 10,000 people blessed by the good news of Jesus. To see our city changed and transformed by the love that the people of God have for the lonely, the hurt, the broken, kids, teens, seniors, everyone in between. God has great plans for us, and he wants to bring you great joy. So let's develop the spiritual discipline of surrender together as a family. Let's pray. God, we praise you because we know that you are a God that we can trust. But God, if we were honest with one another, we know that we don't always want to surrender. So Father, I ask that you would forgive me 
for those times when I refused to surrender. I pray that you would forgive us as a church when we have chosen to not surrender. But God, we are grateful that you're not a God that leaves us in our guilt or our shame or in our condemnation. Instead, you bring joy. As we pursue you, as we accept your invitation, as we grow in our disciplines, as we just learn to take steps of surrender each and every day in every area of our lives, when we learn by spurring one another on to give up our ways and to just pursue your ways, God, we know that will bring great joy. That will turn our joy into great praise for you and that you alone will receive the glory and you will be made famous by your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're about to sing a song. The chorus of the song says Hosanna in the highest. And um, a couple of years ago, I was um, I, I was curious. We, we use that word Hosanna in a lot of songs. Indeed, this morning, this is going to be the second Hosanna song we sing. Um, and the word Hosanna in the scripture... Um, has to do with, it's yes, we kind of use it in a Hosanna, but it's also save, save us. Um, and this morning as we contemplate these words, um, as we contemplate this message of true joy coming through surrender, um, this surrender to a God who saves us, who loves us so much that he made the first move, I believe that it changes something inside of us when we realize that we're not surrendering to a God who's making demands, but we're surrendering to a God who always makes the first move. So would you stand where you are, if you can, if you're able, and sing with us? We're going to sing Hosanna in the highest. <laughs> 